live A-C-U. from the ACU of Texas Studios. This is the Clear Lake Today Podcast Network. Welcome to Meet in the Middle Chronicles. I'm Sam Collins. And I'm Norman Papoose. We met in an office and discovered that despite each of us consistently voting for different political parties, we shared a common goal of leaving our kids a better world. When we started talking to each other, we found that we could meet in the middle on many issues that face our nation. That got us wondering, why can't our elected representatives agree? Find the middle on issues. I don't give up my values when I compromise, and neither does Sam. But we know that compromise serves our kids better than what we see in the current political atmosphere. We had a successful radio show, then the Chinese bought the station. But we got with the times, and now we have a podcast. So sit back and listen. Today we cover the press coverage of the coronavirus, Congress passes an anti-lynching law after 120 years of trying, and we wonder if President Obama and President Trump are both arguing for the same thing, accuracy in all media. Let's get to it, Norm. Issue number one. Okay, wait. Before we get to that, we got to start reminding people to like us on Facebook. A lot of great news is on our Facebook page that you will likely not find anywhere else. And now we have a Patreon page. Just go to patreon.com and search for Meet in the Middle Chronicles. Now, issue number one. Did the press hype the dangers of the coronavirus? Here's an interview with celebrity physician Dr. Drew back on February 3rd. So, Dr. Drew, are we overreacting? Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. I'm hearing this from doctors left and right. Yes, and we are not overreacting. The press is overreacting, and it makes me furious. The press should not be reporting medical stories as though they know how to report it. We will, if we have a pandemic, I won't know how to tell that we're actually having a pandemic because everything is an emergency. Mm. People that are infectious disease specialists, the CDC, the epidemiologists, need to take this very seriously. The press needs to shut up. One of the hopes of people watching China's coronavirus outbreak was that the alarming picture of its lethality is probably exaggerated because a lot of mild cases are likely being missed. But on Tuesday, a World Health Organization expert suggested that does not appear to be the case. Bruce Alward, who who led an international mission to China to learn about the virus and China's response, said the specialists did not see evidence that a large number of mild cases of the novel disease called COVID-19 are evading detection. Uh, Quote, so I know everybody's been out there saying, whoa, this thing's spreading everywhere and we just can't see it. Tip of the iceberg, end quote. But for the data that we do have, uh, it does not support that, Alward said during a briefing for journalists at Who's Geneva uh, headquarters. Now here's the numbers. COVID-19. Approximately 2,770 deaths have been reported worldwide. Zero deaths have been uh, reported in the U.S. as of February 26th, a couple days ago. Now, for the flu, 291,000 to 646,000 deaths worldwide, 12,000 to 61,000 deaths in the U.S. per year. That's, you know, those are the numbers. So, you know, the question becomes... Is the press overhyping this for, uh, alter, you know, for, for, for reasons that they want viewership? And, and the host of the show that Dr. Drew was commenting on to something that was really interesting. He said that he believes a lot of the coronavirus is getting covered so much because they're using it as clickbait. 
In other words, the news organizations are using the term coronavirus, even though there have been more deaths from flu, because people won't click on something that says somebody died from the flu, but they will click on something that says coronavirus. Yeah, this this has been, uh, you know, it's a scary thing to think about the way they hyped it up, uh, because the the general public thinks it's more fatal than what it has appeared to be. Uh, as you mentioned, the numbers with the flu, uh, the deaths are much higher worldwide and uh, in the United States, but it doesn't get as much coverage, and it's not the clickbait or the you know the the hottest thing right now. Even though this appears to be spreading uh, much faster, I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't speak to uh, how fast this uh, coronavirus is spreading. But I believe that he did have uh, something to his point about the clickbait, and this is uh, media. Social media sites, uh, so many things are driven by data now. So somewhere uh, there's some algorithm uh, about this word coronavirus, and it is driving a lot of attention in media. And, you know, the social media sites now, they they can send you ads and information based on your profile. And the media, I guess, has picked up on this this coronavirus, and, and they're using it. Uh, unfortunately, you you don't want to see the the panic, unnecessary panic, but you want people to be uh, aware of. One of the things that I noticed when they were talking about uh, how to prepare, they said a lot of times the people wearing the mask are people that may be sick, that they don't want them to spread the disease. But what happens, the general public goes out, buys up all the masks, trying to wear masks not to breathe in anything, but the masks are really more supposed to be for someone that's sick, not for the people that are well. Yeah, well, I think your algorithm uh, point's well made. And I'd like to point people to a famous play about uh, health. And, and when scientists talk about health and viruses and all that, there's a famous play by a guy named Heinrich Ibsen, and it's called Enemy of the People. And in the play, uh, there's a doctor in a small Swedish town who discovers that there is a microbe in the town's uh, natural springs. And the natural springs are a major tour- tourist draw for the town. And he's saying, look, there's something bad in here. We got we to gotta solve it. And the town you know, kind of pushes the science away and attacks the doctor. And today we would call it doxing. You know, and, and that's what happened to uh, to uh, to the doctor and the enemy of the people. And I think, um, you know, I, I always urge people to read this play because a lot of the lessons in this play not only are seen in the coronavirus, but other issues in society as well, where expertise is pushed aside. Um, but I think that, you know, right now the CDC, contrary to reports, uh, the CDC was not gutted, you know, by the by the uh, by the previous budgets, um, and actually, you know, there were some things that years ago uh, were expanded at the CDC. But the CDC is our point uh, organization on this, and we should listen to what they say. I believe I totally agree. We need to listen to the experts, and we need to have experts in charge of uh, telling us how to deal with this. You know, in uh, some may not know that I believe at the laboratory in Galveston, they're working on a, a vaccine uh, for the coronavirus at the uh, lab there. Uh, so they got all the bad stuff there. They have a bunch of bad stuff there. I uh, was on a board, a community advisory board at one time, and, and I went up 
to a meeting uh, there. They had a meeting, and one of the photos was uh, a picture on the wall was kind of fuzzy. And I was like, did I get bit by something? But it, it wasn't out of focus. It was just designed like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I, but it, it was funny to look at and say, did I just get bit by one of these viruses in there? But <laughs> now they, it, they, it was a extremely... Uh, safe and protected and one of the reasons they have this community advisory board is for individuals uh, to bring any concerns they may be hearing out in the community in Galveston County and to also uh, relay information to us if anything happens or there's anything going on so uh, it's actually great to have that lab here in uh, in Galveston. I, I got to tell a really quick story, take 20 seconds. When I was on city council, we had the Ebola scare going on. And if you remember, one of the cruise ships out of Galveston had a nurse on it that had treated an Ebola patient. And she wasn't, he or she, I'm not sure which, was not supposed to get on that ship. And so they they uh, isolated them on the ship. And, they were, and us on city council were like, well, you know, what happens? We can't have you know, a cruise ship with people infected with Ebola disembarking in Galveston. You know, they're going to shut the causeway down and just isolate the whole island. So uh, one of the plans that we said unofficially was that uh, if Ebola had become present on that cruise ship, we were going to have the chief of police arrest all the uh, pilots so the ship couldn't get back into port. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I didn't remember that, but uh, I'm glad that they didn't have to shut the island or the uh, causeway down. Now, on to issue number two. Uh, from Reason Magazine on Wednesday, the House of Representatives passed H.R. 35, the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, by a vote of 410 to 4. Just approved legislation designating lynching as a hate crime under federal law. The bill now heads to President Donald Trump's desk, and he is expected to sign it. Illinois Representative Bobby Rush introduced the bill, and it's named after Emmett Till, a 14-year-old boy brutally tortured and lynched in Mississippi 65 years ago. Rush says the bill belatedly achieves justice for Till and more than 4,000 other lynching victims. Who were the four, you asked? Those opposed included libertarian-leaning reps, just Justin Amash, uh, Independent uh, Michigan, and Thomas Massey, Republican Kentucky. The other two vote, voting no were Representative Louis Gomert from Texas and Representative Todd Yoho, both Republicans from Florida. Uh, Massey likewise raised constitutional concerns about the bill while making the broader case against hate crimes as their special kind of criminal law. I voted against H.R. 35 because the Constitution specifies only a handful of federal crimes and leaves the rest to individual states to prosecute. He tells Reason, in addition, this bill expands current federal hate crime laws. A crime is a crime and all victims deserve equal justice. Adding enhanced penalties for hate tends to endanger other liberties such as freedom of speech. Gomert took a different tack, arguing that the bill doesn't do enough to punish lynching at the federal level. A version of the bill released on January 3rd of this year stated that anyone who assembles with the intention of lynching or who causes death by lynching shall be imprisoned for any term of years or for life. The bill we voted on today does not include this clause, uh, Gomert argued in a statement. Such a hateful crime deserves a severe sentence, and I could not in good conscience vote on a bill that addresses lynching on such a low level. 
Well, this, uh, I think, is long overdue. The, the bill had been there for years uh, with the uh, majority of 410 to 4. I don't see why the four wouldn't vote for it. And now I'm listening to their reason. You have two individuals on two different extremes. One is saying it's not severe enough. The other extreme is saying that it shouldn't be, uh, the federal government shouldn't uh, make this law. So for me, uh, I think 400, I'm with the 410 people. I think they should have voted for it. Don't know if you have pushback with their uh, idea of the federal government getting into it. The other thing that go, that goes into this, when you think about the association uh, with uh, who commits these crimes and, and the history of this, uh, no, we don't have individuals uh, being uh, grabbed out of their homes like uh, years ago, decades ago, and I'm glad we don't, but there are still individuals that are motivated by hate uh, that this bill will will address the uh, them assembling and causing harm to other individuals. Well, I, I I understand the reasoning behind the four, but I would have voted for it. And uh, in, in this environment, you know, my question is, you know, what took so long? You know, why wasn't this along with the Voting Rights Act or or, or even previous to that? Uh, because this is essentially the law being taken into the hands of citizens, which you know mm-hmm. should never be done. That said. Uh, I'll give you a personal experience with a law like this. Um, when I was working security in a London uh, club, the club held you know over a thousand people. And uh, as we do when you work security, things got a little touchy and spilled out into the street as happens every night. And we were very soft-handed. And the, uh, the guy left with, and came back with police officers. And he pointed at me and my boss, and he said, these two guys, and, you know, roughed me up, et cetera, et cetera, and called me and used a gay slur. Well, he says, I'm gay. And that there triggered a police investigation. And the cop told us, because the man said he was gay and accused you of using a gay slur, we are mandated by law to investigate. Now, here's where it gets weird, because they could have investigated. It would have been his word against our word, and who knows where it would have gone, okay? But luckily, the club had security video of the whole thing. And so the manager of the club took the police inside, pulled out the security video. The cops were in there for about 20 minutes, came out, and arrested him for assault. Well, the... the, Go ahead, finish So what's going to happen... And so my point is, is that these laws that uh, tend to mandate uh, penalties or investigations based on a demographic, I can understand people pushing back on them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and to your point about cameras and video, uh, when we talk about body cameras for officers, uh, that's a study that shows that uh, complaints also go down yes. against the police when you have video. So to your point, how the gentleman was arrested, he didn't tell the full story. But had there not been video to back up the club owner and you and the other bouncer, then you would have security personnel, security personnel, (laughs) (laughs) a more professional title for uh, the bouncer. Well, in England, you need to be licensed. It's no joke. Well, uh, rightfully so, because you you are carrying out, you know, physical uh, activities against individuals so you want to be trained 
there needs to be trained individuals to handle those situations. It doesn't just need to be a brawl. But uh, to your point about the cameras, going back to that, the complaints against police officers go down when people know that there was actual tape, audio, and video also. So I think it's beneficial for society as a whole. I do too. I firm, I'm a big believer in video everywhere you can get it in public places. Now, one of the things with, with this uh, lynching commentary, uh, maybe you don't know uh, or hadn't heard, that uh, when lynching was no longer... Uh, widely acceptable uh, in the public because it used to be held in public squares and the community would come out and, and mobs would grab people and and there was actually one lynching in Galveston in 1917 and I don't want to go into all of that history right now they could they could look it up but my point was just simply that in the 40s I believe late 40s early 50s now Emmett Till, Emmett Till was in the in the 50s but and some he, how old was he? 14. 14 years old, they launched the kid. kid. And um, his uh, cousins, Simeon Wright, came to our church and spoke. He was in the bed with Emmett Till the night they pulled him out mm. in Mississippi. He came in. We had a, a special program, a black history program. But back to my point about lynching. Some feel like that the judicial system was being used in place of mob mentality. And what they mean by that, and the studies have, have shown that the death penalty has been used more on minority communities, and, and there have been some individuals that have been executed that were innocent. So some feel that the lynching went from a public space to a legal platform that made it more socially acceptable, and Brian Stevens and the Equal Justice Initiative fights against that. You could do more research on that if, you, if you're interested. But, uh, and isn't that where the idea of jury nullification came from? Was basically that there were uh, in, in imbalanced jury verdicts going that, forward, depending on your skin color. Yeah, that there are uh, imbalances, and, and yes, when you when you think about what was happening in the past, that these juries were made up of individuals that maybe had some biases. But you look at individuals on the other side of the coin when you think about uh, uh, Emmett Till, Mega Evers. Uh, a lot of the individuals that committed crimes that their jury, jurors uh, found them innocent or let them go is amazing uh, with the amount of evidence that was presented. Some of these individuals were brought back to trial. They were later sentenced when they were 70, 60, 70 years old. So they had you know, already lived their lives, and it's unfortunate that those things uh, happen. But I would encourage individuals to look up some of that information because there are some studies that show that the judicial system is not, not balanced and we have too many people on yeah. death row that are from minority communities yeah. or, or crimes. No one, you know, if you committed a horrible crime, then, you know, I think uh, there are consequences that go along with that. But when we think about the idea of the of the death penalty and if we're killing innocent people we need to review those those things and, and i'd just like to add that you know sometimes these congressmen i understand your need to vote your conscience but sometimes you have to vote you know for the party and what i mean by the party i mean you know you have to vote so as not to give the other side and i'm, I'm talking very politically here give the other side ammo and I understand Louis Gohmert's reasoning and Yoho's reasoning and all of that. But unless it's a real core value, they're hold deep, which I don't think this was, you know, consider the effect of that vote 
on, on perception. Yeah, it was three Republicans and one independent. Who used to be a Republican. That guy used to, that's Amish. That's the guy who went against Trump and left the party. Okay, issue number three. President Obama and President Trump both take on the media. This week, lawyers for former President Obama sent cease and desist letters to South Carolina TV stations to stop running certain ads. The ad clearly aimed at damaging African-American turnout for former Vice President Biden in the state's upcoming primary. The ad supposedly misleadingly used Obama's words from his 1995 book, Dreams from My Father. The passage suggests that Biden supports what is termed plantation politics, and it is paid for by a Republican political action committee. Now, I'm going to break up real real quick before I move on. Sam, remember when Biden told a crowd of African-Americans that Republicans wanted to, and I quote, put them back in chains? Well, you know, politics is a dirty business, and I personally think this is one of those what goes around comes around moments, although in general, I think the TV station should filter political advertising more closely. They're not bound by the First Amendment. Okay, but I'm getting back to it on top of this, this week, President Trump's lawyers sued the New York Times for libel. The president claims that the newspaper knowingly published false information. Specifically, they point to an op-ed the Times published that claimed his 2016 campaign had an overarching deal with Russia. All right, the Trump campaign yesterday sued the New York Times for libel over an op-ed about a Russia conspiracy. The president says... When they get the opinion totally wrong, as the New York Times did, and frankly, they've got a lot wrong over the last number of years. So we'll see how that... Let that work its way through the courts. If you read it, you'll see it's beyond an opinion. That's not an opinion. That's something much more than an opinion. They did a bad thing. According to the president's lawyers, the complaint alleges the Times was aware of the falsity at the time it published them, but did so for the intentional purpose of hurting the campaign while misleading its own readers in the process. And again, I want to emphasize this was not an editorial in the Times. It was an op-ed in the Times. Yeah, and that is going to be one of the reasons that it may be hard to approve. Being an op-ed, I believe that uh, the Times will not be responsible for the opinion of the writer of this. Now, do I think the press needs to do a better job? Uh, I, I do think they need to do a better job across the board of putting out information that they know for sure could be false. Uh, how, do, how do you measure this? Or how, do they, how did they figure that this was, uh, could not be proven? Are they saying it's just false because it's already been proven? misleading or was it just the opinion of the person? I well, didn't read the op-ed. Mueller said there, that he could find after $35 million of an, in what, a year and a half of investigating, he could find no connection between Russia and the Trump campaign. So it means it didn't happen or he just didn't find it? Well, just, there, there's, just, there, just, there's a positive <laughs> statement there yeah. saying that there is a he complete lack nothing. of, there's a complete lack of evidence and they're saying that this guy in the op-ed said there's an, there was an overarching deal yet he provided no proof. Well, for op-eds, uh, I don't know what the answer is. We would have to talk to more more press professionals to see what is the where where where's the line with the press with regards to these op-eds. It's be- wherever they want it to be. That's the problem, mm-hmm. you know, because now these these South Carolina ad, uh, TV stations are removing this ad against Biden. So obviously, you know, they can it's, pull it back when they want to. Yeah, yeah. Well. I know there's been an argument that the media can be too liberal sometimes, but there are also conservative uh, stations that 
put out false information or misleading information, uh, and they have to be reined in sometimes too. They all have to. All of them. You know, that's yeah. what the show's about, yeah. is getting rid of the extremes. That's, that's what, that was my point. I oh, was coming sorry. back to that. We have to, we have to pull in <laughs> that, that it's not just we don't – I didn't want to beat up just on the liberal media. That, that's conservative media that also has to be reined into the talking about even though the TV stations are having to pull this ad, it wasn't a conservative station. Uh, I don't think that was uh, the only one running the ad. Yeah, I don't know if the stations in uh, the TV market were aligned, you know, left or right. But yeah, you know, I, I I don't think they should run ads like that. On the other hand, if one's going to get run like this, uh, misleading, you know, dreams from my father by Obama against Biden, I think it's what goes around comes around because Biden stood in front, and I don't remember the uh, the organization he was standing in front of, the NAACP or who it was. And he was, you know, giving a fiery speech and he started talking about chains and he said, and they want to put you back in chains, meaning Republicans, which was, you know, it was really beyond the pale. So I'm not, you know, I'm not really, uh, I got schadenfreude over this, to use a term by uh, the former New York senator that, you know, that got made popular. I think, uh, I, I think they took a swipe at Biden using his own medicine and he didn't like it. Well, uh, I don't think... Either um, situation should have been used. Uh, of course, uh, individuals are going for emo- emotional reactions with their uh, speech and language. So that is where, where Biden was going with that. You know, there's um, times where the African-American community is uh, deemed um, not wise enough to make their own decisions. So they're stuck on the plantation so to speak so i've heard also on the other side of the coin uh republicans promote getting off the democratic plantation so they're using the same imagery but just in a different manner and saying that okay uh 90 plus percent of african americans are voting for the democrats and they're stuck on a plantation but they may be voting in what they think individuals i'm saying are voting with their interests and they just feel at the time that this party or this group is serving their interests even if they're not delivering on on some of the promises they have to pick oftentimes individuals feel they have to pick the lesser of two evils right but i i don't want to go back though to the fact that the media needs to stop this because they they are literally throwing fuel on the fire that happens they do they do uh and now with social media Fuel on the fire seems to be where the extremes are. Yeah, we, but, but we're, we're talking we're about trying TV to get it back stations to and the New York Times. I mean, these aren't you know, uh, you know, X Y Z extremist political party dot com. We're going back to algorithms, clickbait, eyes on their on their websites. Uh, they're doing it to get the revenue. Not that not that's right. It needs it needs to be uh, reined in. Yeah. Uh, on both sides. On, uh, on both sides. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. Um, okay. So- All right, that's it for this week. Please like us on Facebook and visit our Patreon page where you can donate to the show. Let's repeat that. Please like us on Facebook and visit our Patreon page where you can donate to the show. Now, every week we uh, offer up some story headlines that might interest you. Uh, If you find these articles interesting, please like us on Facebook. We post the stories there that we talk about here most often. 
So all week long, you're going to be getting stories on our Facebook page that typically don't hit uh, your typical news um, outlets. So from counterpunch.org, the Space Force becomes a weapon system and arms company profits. Who didn't see that coming? From the South China Morning Post, scmp.com, winter on Everest ends without a single accent of temperatures plummet. Yeah. Not, As temperatures plummet. Yeah. Not one. Not one. This is the first time in over 20 years that there wasn't a winter ascent on uh, Mount Everest. And it's a, it's a fascinating story. From gizmodo.com, broadcast news devoted less than 1% of reporting to climate change in 2019. And that goes way against, you know, what the right says about this stuff. Yeah, the uh, uh, next story from TheBlaze.com. Stephen King tells Corey Feldman to chill over forthcoming documentary naming Hollywood pedophiles. So Feldman invites him to the show. I want to get that show. I want to see that show. Um, From Pluralist.com. PTSD survivors respond to woman who claims Trump's 2016 win over Hillary gave her PTSD. You know, this is this is uh, such a serious subject that uh, uh, one, I don't think you, you should compare it. There may be stress associated with it, but I don't think it's in the same category uh, as survive, uh, PTSD uh, survivors. All right, from Al Algeria. Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera. Why did I not know that? From mm-hmm. aljazeera.com. Pompeo to face house panel on U.S. killing of Iran's Soleimani. Yeah, that's, that's going to be an interesting exchange as well. Uh, from motherjones.com, Mar- Mark Halperin says murderers are treated more fairly than canceled people. Wow. Again, a, a really fascinating article. You know, I, I've been watching a couple of comedian skits about this cancel culture and you know they they've been uh spot on on some of this thing we we have a society now that wants to cancel people at the at the drop of a hat for uh, various things all right that's it enough people go out and meet in the middle compromise remember to like our facebook page and visit our patreon page go do something special with your kids this weekend <laughs>